You can turn this morning in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We began last week looking at the book of Joshua. Uh, the children of Israel have left the flat, barren, stark land of the desert and are on their way into that promised land. They're on their way into that fertile land. That land, the Bible describes as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land where the uh, hills, and full of hills and valleys, uh, as exciting as the hills are, as picturesque as the hills are. You know, the desert in its own way can have some beauty, I suppose. I lived in the desert back in El Paso, Texas for a while, and uh, that's not like the Sahara Desert. There's a big difference <laughs> between the Sahara Desert and the des desert uh, even where we're looking at where these people were in El Paso, but... The desert can have its own beauty, but, uh, you know, you think about the picturesque and the beauty of, of, of a flowing landscape of the hills and the trees and the valleys and the brooks running through and that mountain region and how, how beautiful that is. They're leaving this, and if you've been saved for a while, if you've been a Christian for a while, and I hope you understand that the picture that God gives us in his word with these people is that they were leaving that, that barren, empty wasteland, the desert, where there was nothing for them. That's a picture of what we as God's people, when we leave the world and the flesh and the devil, and we leave all that behind and we go into the promised land, all of what God wants us to have and experience in the Christian life. If you know that's the picture, say amen. I think most everybody here understands that. Well, in this land that flows with milk and honey, in all of its beauty, there's also great hills. And as beautiful as the hills are, how many of you understand that sometimes they're hard to climb? And what happens is when you get over the top of one hill, you get to down into another valley. It's beautiful to behold, but, you know, sometimes the valleys in life are challenging. It is really the, the valleys that make us love and appreciate the hilltops. It's what makes those value. I mean, you know, a few weeks ago, I could have taken Pastor Gus for granted. That's probably why he left for a week. You know, just let him know, you know. <laughs> Don't know what you got till he's going, I'll let Pastor Caleb do it by himself. We'll see how he likes that, you know. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm sure he wasn't that way. They were on vacation. I'm glad they got to go. But you know what I'm saying? When you experience something, you say, boy, uh, I'm sure thankful for what I had. Pastor, Der Pastor Gus was talking about that just in Hawaii there. He was in a church that was under construction and, and really rough situation. And he comes back here. He says, man, it just feels like I'm in the lap of luxury. Why? Because he was introduced or faced with something hard. And so what I want you to see is that in life, we have hilltops, and they're exciting, but we also have valleys. Sometimes those valleys are painful defeats that we experience, and this is what we are coming up on in our story here in the life of Joshua. Joshua and God's people have experienced, as we talked about last week, an unprecedented victory. The taking of Jericho, that amazing city with all of its fortifications and was no match for God and God conquered it and knocked down the walls and they walked in as though the walls weren't even there. That was in chapter 6, but we come to chapter 7 
And we see there's some hard lessons that are learned in AI. This morning, I want to speak to you about some lessons learned from loss. Some lessons learned from loss. And if you would look at Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 27. We're going to do Joshua chapter 7, but I want, to, want you to see this. He says in chapter 6, verse number 27, he says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. I mean, you see the joy. You see the excitement. They had just conquered Jericho. I mean, you can imagine the discussions around the fireplace and as people were walking uh, through the, the camp and just, just the, the, the excitement in the air. Man, did you see it? Did you see the walls come down? Oh, I was standing just past the gate when the wall fell down and there was a gate standing by itself and then all of a sudden it just... You just watched it fall. It was amazing. I mean, oh, did you? Oh, yeah, I was on the other side. I mean, you can hear the excitement and everybody's so thrilled about what God did and, and all that they got to experience. They're just excited about it. Then you get to chapter number seven, verse number one, and it says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. You have all of the excitement in the air and all of the thrill and everybody's just excited about what God was doing and how they won this great victory. And it's as though between chapter 6, verse number 27 and chapter 7 and verse number 1, the sun goes behind a cloud. The temperature changes. A cold front moves in. And you see this, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. In the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmai, the son of Zebedai, the son of Zariah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Have you been there? Have you lived through the arrival of but then? I'm saying things looked like they were going really well. I mean, you were on the top. You were excited about the progress. You were thinking, boy, this is good. But then the bottom fell out. But then something happened. But then came. And you're looking at it and you're wondering, oh, my goodness. Well, God gives us a unique picture here right off in verse number one. He tells us right up front what the crime was. And then he goes back in the rest of the chapter, and gives us the story. He kind of gives you, uh, what, what do they say now? They're, um, spoiler alert, right, spoiler alert. He gives you that right up front. Tells you what's, what happened. And then he, un- through the, all of chapter number seven, he unfolds the story and explains to us why this was so chilling and what it meant for the people of God. You see, dear friend, Achan had taken of the accursed thing. God was not pleased. And they experienced a real valley as they went into this small place of Ai, even though Ai was located on the top of a hill. 
First of all, I want you to see this morning the, the, the committed trespass. He says there in verse number one, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan. Achan, old, old time preacher said, Achan stole the bacon. <laughs> and he, he was in trouble. He, he did it. He's the one that did it. But you see, he says, Israel committed a trespass. God giving this result right off the bat. God had commanded that they should take nothing from the spoils of this first battle. Look back in chapter number 6 and verse number 18 and 19. They're going into the city of Jericho here. They're going to win this great victory. And he says, and ye and any wise keep in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. You see, this city of Jericho was to be a first fruits offering to God. God was offering to them and giving them all of the promised land. Everything from here on out, God looked and said, hey, this is going to be yours. I've attributed this to you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you conquer this country and you're going to be able to have all of these things. But this first fruits, this first city, all that is there should be wholly and completely dedicated unto God. Give this to God. Don't, don't take what belongs to God. He told them that up front and he says, you don't want to do that. And it seems so very simple. It seems so very direct. I mean, you would think there would be a measure of fear and awe in somebody that just watched the city walls of Jericho fall to the ground. And God said, by the way, that belongs to me. But you see, Achan, he was looking at what he did not have. Instead of looking at what God was going to give him, instead of looking at all that he did have and was able to experience, he was looking at the few things that he didn't have. And sometimes that's the problem, Christian, when Christians are looking at, well, I don't get to do this or I can't do that or I'm supposed to stay away from that. And you're spending a whole bunch of time looking at and desirous of the things that you don't have instead of looking at what God has given you. Looking at and being thankful for the blessings that God has given you. Because the blessings and the abundance of our Lord and Savior are, are beyond measure. But our wandering eye looks and longs for the things that we don't have. I was talking to one of the parents of one of our very, you know, the, isn't the babies and the, the kids exciting? All the youth that's here, all of the babies, there's so many nurseries full. You know, it's a problem. The nursery workers are saying there's too many kids in here. Stop, stop bringing them, you know. <laughs> um, that's exciting. One of the parents with these little child says, well, they were talking to their uh, pediatrician. And the pediatrician said, well, uh, you see, the kid, it doesn't matter what's on his plate. The kid wants what's on your plate. And the pediatrician said, just put what you want to feed him on your plate and he'll think he's getting what he wants. I want you to know that's not the way you raise kids. You don't trick your kids to do right. You make them do right because they're supposed to do right. Otherwise, when they're a little older and that trick doesn't work, they're not going to obey. They need to obey because they're supposed to obey. That's how you train kids. The pediatrician's trying to give you psychology to teach you to do what's biblically correct. So 
that was free, but um, so, oh, what I, I was like, where was I going with that? What I, what I was saying is that the problem is we just get, we just get bigger, but we still want what's on somebody else's plate, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, if you're like me when you're going through the restaurant and you're like, what are they eating? Oh, that looks good. Uh, what are they eating? You know, I'm trying to decide what I want. I'm looking around saying, man, that looks delicious. Yeah, I like that, well, I look, that looks good. Uh, you know, we want what's on somebody else's plate, not necessarily what God's given us. That's one of the things that happened with Achan here. He was looking at what he didn't have instead of pondering and thinking about all that God had given. Some lessons that we learned here, beloved, is that covetousness is going to cost you. Covetousness costs him and many others in a great way. For him, the acquisition of property was more important than the people that were going to get hurt. The seeking after the secular was more important than seeking after the spiritual. He decided that making a living was more important than making a life. And Christian, we're not far from that today. We pursue after the things of this world and pursue the almighty dollar and decide that that's of utmost importance instead of putting God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God said, I got so much that I want to give you, but right here, this is mine. Don't touch this. Achan said, oh, what's it going to matter? I want you to see their misplaced confidence. They had a confidence failure in verses 2 and 3. And Joshua sent men from from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethhaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. So he sent some spies into land, and the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and they said unto him, Well, (laughs) we just whooped Jericho. We just took Jericho. I mean, this, look at this great city. Ai, look, see what they say here? They say, let, let not all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai. Make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. They had a misplaced confidence. I want you to understand, beloved, that regardless of how small the battle is, you and I still need the Lord in the midst of it. You remember the, the Jericho, the, the emphasis and the focus was on the Ark of the Covenant. The very presence of God was to be in the midst of the congregation. Uh, some before, some after. That Ark representing the presence of God as they marched around the city. They went through that whole scene and God gave them a great victory. And God's presence was there. But they looked at Ai and said, oh, that's just a little battle. That's not very big. That's not very, I mean, hey. That's easy. We can handle that. Just send a few people up. You'll see they say that several times they're up, and that's because it was about 15 miles uphill to reach Ai from Jericho. Jericho was considerably below sea level, but Ai was considerably above sea level. It's about 2,500 feet difference between the two cities. So they're like, no, don't send everybody up there. We have a misplaced confidence. Jericho, there was never a battle fought where there was a greater dependence on God than that. Because they're walking around the city wondering, how is this going to work? I guess God's going to do it because, I mean, we're not doing anything. It's all going to have to be God. They put it all on God and God did it. And here they're heading into Ai, this little bitty city. 
And they say, oh, we can handle this one. The lesson we learn, beloved, is that even in the small battle, we need God. No matter how small the struggle, we need God. I have seen many Christians win the victory in their life over the Jericho. Maybe they have a loved one they've been praying for and finally that person comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or they've won the Jericho, the battle over maybe some physical struggle and, and, and cancer was defeated in, in somebody that they loved or even for themselves and they've won a battle over a, a wayward or a lost son that they were praying for and wanted them to come back to God and, and God did something and the child came back to God and the Jericho was won but I've seen them lose the battle over something small and pride takes him out of church. They stop reading their Bible or they think, oh, this is easy. I don't really need God for this. Oh, they, beloved, when, when the battle is great, we're on our knees, amen? We know that. We, I mean, when the battle's great, boy, we're praying. We're saying, God, we need something. We know there's nothing we can do in ourselves. But then when it's a small battle, we say, oh, yeah, I got this one, Lord. The lesson we learn here from this is that no matter how small the battle, we need God. We need him in every struggle. We need him in the midst of every battle. Another lesson we can learn, brethren, is that we are most vulnerable to Satan after a victory. See, when a victory comes, we're, we're on top. We're, we're, we almost maybe let our guard down a little bit because we think, man, we just, just beat old Slewfoot, knocked him a good one. That was exciting. Hallelujah. And, and we're kind of, and Satan knows, now we're vulnerable. Now is the time to come and attack. We're going to drop our guard We, we need to have God in every battle. I want you to see the, the calamity was felt in verses 4 and 5. He says, so there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men. I mean, that's what the spies said to do, right? Let's send 3,000 guys up. They did, he said two or 3,000. They thought, well, just to be sure, let's send 3,000. So 3,000 men went up, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men. For they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebron and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. It's amazing, beloved, in the entire battle for the great city of Jericho, we're not told about any loss of life. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, how, how, wouldn't you think that in the city of Jericho, if there's these people wandering around the city and they're their enemy, wouldn't somebody take a pot shot at one of them? I mean, wouldn't they like grab a bow and arrow and say, I'm going to take out one or two of those guys? But there's no loss of life recorded in the Battle of Jericho. But here we have this small little town, not only whoops, these 3,000, but the Bible tells us they chased them halfway down the hill, halfway back to Jericho. And smote them. Beloved, 36 men lost their lives. I have to believe that that probably means that 36 wives lost their husbands. There was many children. 
Don't know how many, but I imagine many, many children that lost their fathers on that day. Why? Because Achan sinned. Because Achan took of the accursed thing. Beloved, this one man did what the entire city of Jericho could not do. The entire city of Jericho with all of its walls. Yet this one man did what that could not do. And that was stop the armies of Israel. Stopped them. And here's where the rubber meets the road for Hunt Valley Baptist Church. I want you to understand This one man took the blessings of God off of the nation of Israel. At Hunt Valley Baptist Church, we're praying for revival. And there may be a group of people on this side that are fervently, passionately, daily begging God to bring revival in our midst. There may be groups on this side that daily husbands and wives are getting together and asking God for revival to do something real and powerful to bring about change and growth. And, and we want to see God in, in, in all of who God is. We're tired of just playing church and playing Christianity. We want to see something real. And God's people are begging for a miracle to be done, for a Jericho to be won. But there might be one person in here that says, oh, it's not really that important. I'm not making much difference. And your sin could stop the blessing of God on Hunt Valley Baptist Church. One person, secret sin, stopped the power of God from working in this battle. Would you compare with me a couple of verses? Look at the last phrase of verse number five. This is here. We, talk, we hear about the 36 men that died. But in the, in the last phrase, he says, Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted. Would you compare that with me to Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 11? In Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 11, the spies are in communication with Rahab. And she's discussing the spirit of the people in Jericho and how the entire city is afraid because the children of Israel are at their gate. Notice what she says here. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. You see, the hearts of God's people were turned like the hearts of the wicked because of one man's sin. Because of one man's careless covetousness, God's people lost all confidence. What are the lessons we learn? Beloved, we learn that our sin affects more than just us. The entire nation of Israel was impacted and beloved, the entire church is impacted. I know we think In our mind, well, it's just me. I can do this. Nobody knows about it after all. It's just a small thing. I mean, think about Achan considering him taking that 
the, the silver and the gold and him looking at all of Jericho and everything that they conquered and thinking, oh, this, what little bit is this tiny bit of silver and this couple of garments from all of this? What difference is this going to make? In his mind, he probably thought, what good is it going to be to let it be burned up, to let it be destroyed? I might as well put it to some use. And he picked up and took it. Yeah. Our sin affects more than just us. There's 36 men here in the story that lost their lives. Secondly, we learn that often men live under the delusion that they can be happy with their secret sin. There is the delusion that I can continue to have happiness and be excited and joy even though I have secret sin. Can you imagine the guilt that hung over Achan? Even before this battle, can you imagine people walking around after the, after the battle of Jericho and you hear them talking, you hear them like, man, did you see that? I mean, the walls just fell down and we walked right in. I mean, you should have seen the look on the guy's face that I saw. The walls fell and there was a guard standing there. You should have seen the look. And I mean, one after another, people talking about, excited about what God did. But you think about what Achan, what was consuming his heart. His wife was going into the tent. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the sheets on the bed. And he'll, he's like, oh, oh, no, don't do I, I'll do that. I'll change the sheets. It's okay. Somebody comes by to visit him, stop by his tent. And he's like, why, why are they here? What, what are they here for? A windstorm blows up. What's on his mind? Boy, I sure hope the tent doesn't blow over. Boy, if the tent lifts up and everybody sees what I've done, I'm saying that guilt is ever before him. The psalmist said that my sin is ever before my eyes. Beloved, it's a delusion to think that we can live with secret sin and be happy. One of the biggest problems for Christians as they're trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and they're trying to make the world and be happy over here and they're trying to be in the church and be happy over here and they're miserable in both places. Because you've been saved out of the world. And over here is where you find the joy of the Lord. That's where you need to get and stay. Don't live under the delusion that you can be happy with secret sin. Then we see the cry that fell to the ground in verses 6 through 9. And Joshua rent his clothes, and he fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until evening tide. And he and the elders of Israel put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou, uh, thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we would have been content to dwell on the other side of Jordan. We see that Joshua begins to even question the presence of God. He begins to question the plan of God. He said, God, why'd you even bring us here? Why are we going through this? Joshua's confidence was lost. He goes on and he says, hey, our enemies are going to look at this defeat, this great nation defeated by this little city of Ai. They're going to come over and walk all over us, God. What's going on here? 
then God gives him a plan in verses 10 through 14. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read all that. He describes how they're going to find the person that took of the accursed thing. He said, you took, somebody took of the accursed thing. And what we want to do is we want to find him. And he explains how they're going to do that. And then we see ultimately the cost of folly in verse number 17. And it came and it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He in all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he hath wrought folly in Israel. The cost, the cost was great. Not only did 36 men lose their lives, not only did they experience this great defeat in the battle of Ai, but here, Achan and all that he had, all of his possessions and all of his family were stoned and then burned. Dad, can I tell you that you have a pretty big impact on your family? How you live, what you do, you have the ability to bring blessing or great heartache to your home. How you live, what you set as a priority, what you put an emphasis on as dad. The rest of the family is going to bear a great weight of burden or blessing because of how you live. No sin is going to stay hidden forever. Ultimately, we know that God will judge sin. We see in verses 19 through 21, the confession is forthcoming. They talk to Joshua and they find out that it was him. He says in verse number 21, he says, And when I saw among the spoils of the goodly Babylonian garments, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold and 50 shekels of weight, then I coveted them and I took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. He says, I took it all and I hid it under my tent. He said, I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. You see, here's a pattern for temptation in your life. You know, when David was on the rooftop and Bathsheba was down there, if he would have saw and he would have turned his head and said, God, forgive me. Lord, I shouldn't even be here right now. And Satan has put this temptation. Lord, forgive me. And he would have turned from that temptation at that point. The story recorded for us in Scripture would be completely different. But he had, he had the same pattern of defeat that Achan had here. I saw. I coveted. I took. And I hid. You know, the Bible says, whosoever hideth his sin shall not prosper. I believe, beloved, if Joshua or if Achan would have come to Joshua, would have come to, to them and said, hey, I took this. I know this was dedicated to God. I shouldn't have done it. I want to get that right. We want to take that back and put it back in Jericho where it's supposed to be. That was supposed to be wholly dedicated to God, that God would have forgiven him. But you don't see any sign of repentance here. You don't see any confession of sin here. 
he got caught with his hand in a jar. And had to answer for it. The Bible is clear that there's nothing hid that will not be made manifest. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. Beloved, we think we're hiding it, but it becomes evident at some point. Lessons that we learn is often Satan's going to get you to look at what you don't have instead of what you do. They went and they found in the tent all of his stuff, just like he said. The correction was fulfilled. His sin had a solution. And God has a solution for you and I. We know, beloved, that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This is what happened to Achan. He ultimately lost his life. The Bible is clear. Sin, when it is finished... Then lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's a very clear description of what happened to Achan. Lust conceived in his heart and mind. He saw, he coveted, he took, and then he hid. But beloved, the Bible tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 1, verse number 18 says, Come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants to forgive if we'll just come and confess. You see, we think we can keep this sin under control. We think we can limit its influence and impact in our lives. We think it's just a little bit here or a little bit there, but you don't realize it's impacting everybody else in this room. It's impacting the whole church. And what we don't realize is that we fall under the control of that sin, which we felt we were mastering it, but then it was mastering us. I read recently about how they catch monkeys in Papua New Guinea. They take a gourd and hollow it out. They cut a small hole in the top and they fill it with nuts. A monkey comes and Sticks his hand in there because he wants the nuts. And they have the, they have, they've caught the monkey. All the monkey has to do is let go. And he's free. But he won't let go of the nuts. And he can't get free. That's how sin gets a hold of you. All we got to do is let go of it. And you can be free. You can have the joy of the Lord and all that God wants you to experience in this Christian life. But Satan's got us. He's got us. When we hold on to sin in our lives, we become a slave to it instead of the other way around. The question for you today is, are you willing to learn from the losses at AI or will you have to endure your own?